What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Perret, and we've got the wonderful Alex Fleece on the show. And Mr. Jabbar, you know, I, I'm i going to fucking butcher this. I asked you how to pronounce your first name. Adesada. Wow, that is so impressive. Fuck yeah! <laughs> See, look at how unorganized I am. I'm over here eating fucking chips. Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Hey guys, if you're looking to take your investing, business, life, or just yourself to the next level, then I have something for you. The War Room Real Estate Military Mastermind Group is a mastermind group that meets weekly in small groups of five to six people to help you hold yourself accountable and really experience that growth. But we also have a monthly guest speaker that we bring in, and we've had guest speakers that talk about mindfulness, taxes, We're bringing in somebody to talk about marketing. We bring in very specific topics that will adhere to very broad, any any kind of real estate investing or investing or entrepreneurship that you want to do, and we'll really help you out. We let you ask these speakers questions and get very personal with them. And then back to the small groups, weekly accountability for what you're trying to achieve and just being surrounded by like-minded people. And they say your network is your net worth. I know that's an overused phrase, but I recommend that you check it out. So just shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's wrmastermind at gmail.com. And we'll send you some more information. So, all right. So nonetheless, Jabbar was recently on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast and Mindy Jensen was impressed enough that she actually sent a personal email to me and was like, yo, you got to have this guy on the podcast podcast. And then he and I jumped on a phone call and I was like, yo, you got to be on the podcast. And so Jabbar is a active duty Marine, a corporal. Yep. Corporal in the Marine Corps in Beaufort, South Carolina. So a young service member who's fucking already crushing it in real estate. And uh, I was like, yep, this is fucking sweet. Let's jump on a podcast and we're going to talk. And what we're going to do is we're going to share his story. And then we're going to talk about things that you should do as young service members to invest in real estate or finances or whatever. And it's going to be just an open free flowing conversation, true to what we are trying to change the podcast over to. So uh, Jabbar, give a, let's, let's hear the background. Let's hear your story. All right, cool. So my name is Jabbar Desada. I'm a 20 year old United States Marine active duty station in Beaufort, South Carolina, like you just said. Um, so I basically got started. I want to say investing back in uh, January of 2020. I was uh, fresh out of combat training. I was hosted by a family because during combat training, I was there um, during the holidays, the Thanksgiving holidays. And so they have like this host to service member where the locals host like people who are, I guess, Marines who weren't able to go home. I got hosted by family. They were extremely happy and also happened to be extremely wealthy. It's funny how that correlates. So, (laughs) I mean, I looked at that dude. I looked at Phil. His name's Phil. I love Phil. I give him a shout out all the time. And Phil, um, 
I was just like looking at these people's lives and I was like, man, like I want to be like that. And to give you guys some perspective, Phil, like his, he like will just come home one day and take his daughter to like Paris, like just randomly, like off rips or, or they'll go like skydiving in the morning or like scuba diving in the afternoon. So like, this is like a fun, like spontaneous family. I'm like, wow, I want my life to look like that. What do you do? Um, so I had read rich dad, poor dad a couple of years prior, but um, Phil gave me the books Automatic Millionaire by David Bach and um, I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And those are like, you know, finance books, like going over the whole 401ks, investing, save more than you uh, spend, less than you make, like, you know, the whole shebang there. Yeah. So I'm on this like frugality journey from January of 2020. I'm investing every dollar I have almost into the stock market. And um, from then the market crashed March, 2020. Um, I tell people you could have put a blindfold on someone, tied a monkey to their boot and then had the monkey stick its tongue out and just pick the stocks and you've been up over a hundred percent. So that's what happened to me. Uh, <laughs> so I like, and <laughs> I literally was putting all of my money into stocks um, and by like, so zoom passed to July of 2020. Um, I, the military paid me like $13,000 and my net worth has shot up to like $20,000, $25,000. So then, yeah, I was like hooked. I was like, oh my gosh, I have all this money. I'm a e E3, 18-year-old kid in the Marine Corps. Um, how can I like, you know, scale this up? Like, how can I become wealthier and, you know, grow from here? So uh, August of 2020, I saw, I found bigger pockets. Um, Alex, I know you listen to every single episode like two times because I listened to your podcast on there. Um, I've listened to every single podcast once because they have like the money show, um, the rookie show and the OG show. So I've listened to every single one of those. And um, yeah, from there, I um, I went I, I was doing the whole education journey, listening to every single podcast, reading books. And then I bought my first property with my VA loan, a house hack in um february of 2021 and then recently i just closed on a second property which is a six hundred thousand dollar mountain cabin in the great smoky mountains that i'm in love with so uh that's like the quick uh summary of my my story investing journey hey what's it like going to work every day with a bunch of other 20 year olds that aren't doing any of this um it is actually pretty interesting you guys know how it is um they just don't listen. You talk to them, you tell them, you share the journey, they make fun of you. Um, and then when you're trying to like address their financial situations, it's like talking to a brick wall. And um, yeah, it's like, it's like mental gymnastics. And sometimes when I'm bored, I like to troll. So um, it, <laughs> it, it can be a little bit entertaining some days. <laughs> there's the, there's the inner 20 year old. And sometimes yeah. I just like to fuck with them. <laughs> Does it, um, exactly. Does it, does it frustrate you though that you go to work every day with people who are not, you spend a lot of time with people who are not like-minded? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I'm in, so I'm in a mastermind called Cheeks Freaks. Um, and that's like a bunch of like young people who are like into personal finance. Like we have 19 year olds buying properties. We have people who are already financially free. So I'm not normal. I'm like normal there. So I just, you know, after work, I get to talk to all my digital friends <laughs> online on Zoom and shit. Is that, is that Dan who runs that? Yep, Dan Sheeks. He just wrote. Yeah, the he book just wrote. For, yeah, bigger for bigger pockets. Yeah, uh, first to a million or whatever. I met yep, him at FinCon. I'm, yeah, he's. I love Dan. 
Yeah. He's like uh, a high school teacher, yeah. right? Yep. Personal finance. Uh, so uh, yeah, that Great Smoky Mountain uh, short-term rentals. That's that's popular. That's that's big popular right now. Yeah, I can nerd out and give you all the good reasons on why people should invest there. <laughs> it's a, it's a really great market, and it makes sense from like a economic point of view and like for like that business strategy. Because like if you think about it, like sixty percent of like North America is within a day's drive of the market. It's like the number one, you know visited national park supply was like cut by like 2,500 cabins back in 2016. And in 2021, it's just now catching up. So there's a lot of good um, reasons why I believe the market's good for like Airbnbs and short-term rentals. And um, yeah, I love it. I mean, I just got paid $4,300 five nights for new year's for new year's Eve. So <laughs> and <laughs> definitely your mortgage on that thing is what 35. Like, no, nah, three thousand. Yeah. yeah, we grossed like almost ten thousand dollars this month, and that's like bad. Like we miss Christmas. We book Christmas pretty low, um, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm happy with it. Damn, good for you. That's incredible. Yeah, what that is is that's incredible, especially at at twenty years old. I mean, that's so okay. Here's the question though: How did you buy a six hundred thousand dollar cabin in the Smokies? with an E3, E4 salary? Because uh, I know you said $25,000 saved in stocks. That is not a 20% down payment. So did you partner? Like, how'd you, how'd you pull this off? Yeah, so um, if you got my, I like persevere a lot, right? So my friend, um, Eli, he's a, oh, crap, I shouldn't name drop him. One of my friends, he has six of them there. And he was telling me how he's like clearing $300,000 <laughs> a year in cash flow off of like three cabins and that's like net. So I was like, wow, that helps me get to my goals a lot faster. So I did all this different research, like, you know, obviously you go through that path. It's another asset class. Um, so I studied up real hard and I was asking every single person in my family, I'm like, Hey, let's, I don't have money, but let's partner on this deal. And we'll split 50, 50, blah, blah, blah. I was telling, and I, I was like detailed reports. I had all this crap. Right. And so everybody told me, no, I never got one. Yes. Um, and to answer your question, yes, I did partner. Um, so I, this new member of our mastermind and Sheik's freaks, he joined and he said he had an Airbnb, but, um, I think we could, I, I DM them. Cause I was like super stoked about Airbnbs and he was like, he's getting like a 10% return on his Airbnb. I'm like, dude, like, like what uh, on the Airbnb? Uh, Cause he's house hacking it. So I'll give him some slack there. And it's in Austin. Um, so then I'm just venting to, I'm like literally venting to this guy about like, I have like this crazy, amazing strategy and plan to buy cabins in the Smoky Mountains, not even trying to pitch him or nothing, no slides or no long pitch anything. And then like, after I finished venting, uh, cause I'm like frustrated, he's like, yeah, man, like I'll, I'll partner with, with you there on, on this thing. And I was like, what really? He's like, yeah, I just got to talk to my wife. So he talked to his wife, um, um, that's when I showed them that I'm not like a dumb 20 year old kid with a pipe dream and, uh, showed I actually know what I'm talking about and I have resources that I'm going to rely on and yada, yada, yada. And then we bought a property four months later and it, it's a JV and yeah, it's not like an ambiguous partnership where we're like, we're going to buy the entire mountains. It's, it's not like that. It's like, you know, one off, we have the LLC and the operating agreement and we're 
pretty clear on terms there and we have a exit uh plan dissolution and all that just stuff but um that's that's how i bought it and i'm probably gonna buy a couple more like that uh, all right so, so i can I, tell that you've been listening to some podcasts because <laughs> you knew that the first thing one of us was going to ask you about is what you're going to what's going to happen if that doesn't work out as a partnership and you're like oh i already know one one deal it's not we're not buying everything together we have a dissolution plan we have an exit strategy we have like but that's that's awesome because okay first off most 20 year olds are not buying a $600,000 investment property right especially not on the salary of an active duty enlisted service member and they damn sure aren't thinking through the what if goes wrong when they do it right so i th- i think that's really cool like i think that's a good spot because if you guys crush it and you fucking love working together then you buy more and if you yeah. don't then like you got one property together it makes you money yeah. And it's our, I think that with the way I'm doing it, he's really, really passive. Like I'm doing everything and I'm okay with that. I bought it with those intentions and it's actually helping me. Cause now I have like it on my track record. And so now I'm talking with other people. And so to them, when they don't have any Airbnbs, I'm almost like this Airbnb, like sort of expert when i'm talking to these people so it makes it easier with partnering and you know fighting for equity on future uh jvs and strategies and things like that and then obviously i can't qualify for multiple 500 600 million dollar cabins because i would be drowning (laughs) um if anything went wrong so it kind of works for like that aspect like risk protection and on things of that nature i love the abundance mindset i talked to a young girl today who wants to buy her first house. She's much, she's my age and she's got a VA loan. And, you know, she's like, well, I just don't have any money and I don't have any savings and I'm afraid to buy too much house. And I don't have anybody that would partner with me. And just all of these reasons why it's not going to work. And I'm like, what I was trying to explain to her, I was like the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of people who buy real estate are not doing it with their own capital. Um, they're using, they're using lots of banks, they're using lots of lenders, and then they're using lots of private money. And there's no shortage, especially right now, you know, the market, the market liquidity is just super abundant. So there's just, there's easy, there's, there's lots of money out there to get. And you went off and you went and got some, and I love that because that is, um, that's just such a valuable skill and a valuable mindset to have. Uh, going into this and learning how to, you know, do any kind of business where it's like, I don't need the money. I need to know how to find the money. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And like, if you would have talked to me like before, like when I was buying my first deal, I was like, yeah, I'll probably ha- do like one house hack a year. Right. Because like my personal finances only enabled me to buy one house hack a year. So uh, I mean, E3 single, you know, not receiving BAH, it's not really, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll buy more than one once they start to stack, but like for the most part. So then when I started saying like, how can I buy more than one property a year? How can I, you know, buy that mountain cabin in the Smokies with that scary big old price tag? How can I make that work for me? Um, that's when, you know, the gears start spinning and you start thinking through these things, you start educating yourself on the information that you're lacking. So 
lot of people reach out to me and they're just like asking these questions. Like I don't have, they come, but the first thing they do is like, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have this. And it's like, wait, stop, ask yourself what you do have. And maybe, maybe then you can start to focus on figuring out what you can then go get, you know, to, you know, to like put the pieces in the puzzles to, you know, accomplish your goals. And I love, I love it. I mean, where else can you, can you do something like this? It's, it's incredible. I, I love real estate a lot. Yeah. I'm going to tee up. We missed a huge, huge component of this earlier in my head. I just automatically assumed that you were married, had BAH. You just told me the opposite. And I want to stop there because you are now the second person that I've ever known who's done this. The first was, uh, Name drawn a blank, Alex. We interviewed him a couple months ago. I listened back, to that podcast. Months. Yeah. Um, those you are now one of two people I know who've done this. And I, I key in on that because I hear this all the time from people online to the point that we were just talking about with the I can't do X, where it's like, well, I don't have and and don't get me wrong, like if you're in San Diego, you're probably not gonna be able to <laughs> yeah. get approved for a mortgage without yep. housing allowance. But walk me through how that worked. Like how did how were you able to house hack and use the VA loan without BAH? Like kind of kind of walk us through that first house hack briefly. That's that's yeah. cool. So the first deal, I mean, oh my gosh, it makes you so confident. And I, I love telling this story. So I was so I was talking to Dan, right? My first interaction with Dan, he mentioned Craig Kerlock who um was doing house hacking and like was a millionaire in his mid-20s. Um, yada, yada, yada. He had like, he's on his like fifth hot house hack. And so once I connected the dots that, cause it, to me, it didn't make sense to house hack unless I was going to make money while house hacking. So, um, but when I learned that like Craig is like making a thousand dollars per door in Colorado, I was like somewhere around Beaufort, South Carolina, this is going to work. So, um, the first thing is obviously getting, getting lending. Um, and then at this point I only had that 25, maybe 30 grand. And then I didn't even have credit. I didn't have two years of W2. Um, so I just started calling banks. So I called 13 different banks and all 13 of those banks said, no, they denied me. I mean, I had one lender. He was like, I've been doing this for 20 years. And like, I'm telling you right now, there is no one who will get you like, there is no one who will get you financing uh, with your VA loan without BAH. So um, actually, the sorry, the 13th bank told me maybe. The 13th bank told me maybe. And so, but the lender before, obviously, is screw that guy. But um, anyway, so I'm calling these different banks. And as I'm calling them, um, I'm starting, I'm doing my own research on like the actual guidelines. Cause you'll be surprised how many loan officers don't know, like the guidelines, they only know the overlays for their banks. Um, and for those who don't know an overlay banks have like additional restrictions on like their lending practices, um, that are not, that are separate. Like, like they don't apply to every bank. So that's why you kind of have to call around. So on that 14th bank, I'm starting to know the right questions to ask. I'm knowing how to position myself to where, um, now I know what I need to do to house hack if I, if that's what I want to do. So I realized, all right, I'm going to need to get a non-owner occupied co-borrower to co-borrow with me on the property. So I went through the whole process of asking my family. This was the first time I did that. And they all told me no. Everyone told me no. Um, so I just started calling str strangers. And it's crazy because strangers will make you rich is what I'm starting to figure out. My family won't help me, but strangers are just out here, you know, just say, yeah, dude, like your family's, <laughs> your family's seen you make too many dumb mistakes <laughs> as a kid that they don't, you know what I mean? They're, my family doesn't hardly invest in me either. 
They just seem yeah. to make too many, too, too many stupid things. So don't yeah. blame them too much. Yeah, I, I, I love, I love my family. I, I'm just talking trash, but yeah, you're, you're so right, Alex. Um, so I'm calling, telling, calling my family because I needed a co-borrower. All of them said no. Then I start calling up some like close friends who I enlisted with. So not my close friends who went to college and don't have W-2s. My close friends who like went to to the military that I've known for a long period of time. And so I worked out like a way to like buy a house hack with them um, because, you know, I really wanted to desperately get into the game of real estate. I wanted to buy my first property. And so at this time, like a bunch of good things just happened all at once. So I told you before I didn't have credit. Well, like literally that same like week, my credit, like my six months of credit history finally like happened. Like I finally had that like seventh payment. And so all of a sudden I have like a 750 credit score. So checking off that box. Um, and then I find out from one lender that I actually don't need when you're in the service, according to this one lender, you actually only need six months of um, of like service to finally use your VA loan. So you don't need two years of it. You only need six months, well, which is what the lender had told me. So that's how I kind of got the workaround. They only use one of my tax returns. So I didn't have to use two of them because I only had one. And then um, he told me if I put 5% down, because obviously E3, Lance Corporate Asada couldn't qualify for a $246,000 house. Um, he said, if I put 5% down though, um, I can buy it by myself and I don't need anybody. So I was like, wow, well, the numbers still work out great um, with me doing this. So I ended up being able to close on this property, put 5% down, didn't have to put any partners on there. And I mean, like when I tell you, and I, I, I know, like, I, I like to talk like numbers cause I've had this one since, I mean, it's been rented. I haven't had like actual vacancy. I mean, and my mortgage. So to give you perspective, my rent, my gross rents are $3,795 a month. And my mortgage is like 1234. So like, I have a lot, and then obviously I have utilities, but like it, it works out to me like probably my net, my net like or my my phantom cash flow like without capex and maintenance or whatever is like around two thousand dollars ish, a little bit less a month. And so after I store up for like uh, capex and maintenance and vacancy, it works out to me cash flowing like between thirteen hundred and fifteen hundred dollars a month while living in this property. So it's one of those like crazy home run deals that I'm one. I I can't find another one like that. But uh, that's how I did it. That's how I did it. I just was persistent as hell. That's exactly what you are. That and you educated as hell. I'm like super impressed by the fact that a you're you're call you're smart enough to call it phantom cash flow. So you understand that there's other things that are going to come up in there. And the fact that you understand the difference between like the VA guidelines and overlays by by lenders itself, like that's that's not like base education. Like you've done your homework. Um I'm impressed, man. That's fucking cool. Did, so did you end up, was it still VA or did you end up with the five yeah. down? You, oh, okay. They didn't yes. push you into conventional. That's fucking. No, because, and the reason why is because um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I didn't, I don't know, but I didn't want to pay PMI. And so, and then the VA, oh, oh, sorry. So one thing I left out, another thing for your listeners here is so the VA loans are, act. it's actually a lenient, a more lenient lending process. So um, my DTI is like, like at that point was like stupid. It was like almost 50%. It was like 49% to them. Um, a lot of lenders, like they, I think they cap you off at like 
or your debt to income ratio. So income, the expense, you, the whole shebang. And so, um, yeah. So, but with the VA loan, what they'll do for you is, so they break it down by different regional areas on like, this is how much after paying off your housing. So this is going to be your, your mortgage payment, like property taxes, insurance, PITI, whatever, plus like uh, a certain percentage for utilities based on the home square footage. And so when you, so in, it depends on the area. I think in my regional area, I had to have a uh, $440 or no, it was, it was like 500 something dollars left over after all of that. So my mortgage payment, PITI plus an additional account, like a, an, an additional, like, let's say 20% for utilities. Then like after all that, my income had to have um, like, I think it was like $500 left over. So not a, there's not a lot of people who know that um, I'm finding, um, but it makes it easier to qualify for mortgages because it's not like just a, a cut and dry, like, oh, you're at 43%. Sorry, buddy, we can't help you. You know, it's um, a lot more lenient. So that's another reason why I use my VA loan and not like a FHA or conventional on this single family home. Yeah, I love um, I love that you didn't listen to the first lenders. What happens a lot of people, I think, is they go, well, I called the bank and the bank said this. And then so banks do that. Banks won't do it. And um, they don't realize, as you alluded to, about overlays where banks, they, they're all lending different stuff, right? They have different, they have different concentrations. They have different things they like. They have different experience levels within that bank. Um, and so banks are far more different than people realize um, from the outside they all do the same thing. They all lend, but what they like to lend, why they like to lend it, what kind of experience they have in lending, where their money is placed and, and what experience they have in that market. There's like so many variables. So a lot of times I tell people to do exactly what you did where it's like, Hey, the bank said, no, it's like, did you call 20? Because <laughs> you're going to get 20 different, you're going to get 20 people who are 20 different people who have 20 different experiences and, and perfect, uh, like, you know, specific what they're good at. And every bank has a different balance sheet. Every bank has a different cost of capital. Every bank has a different risk tolerance. And, you know, I generally tell people, I'm like every loan, if it's a reasonable loan, you know, if you're like, Hey, I want to get hundred percent, like nobody's, that's going to be hard. But if you have a reasonable loan, um, the hard part is finding the lender for it, not whether or not somebody will do it. It's finding the one person. Yeah. The rare yeah. few. That's a hundred percent correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, there's no way to say this without sounding like self-promotional, but that's why we have the network of recommended agents and lenders because there's so many different things. And unfortunately there's a lot of really bad or unknowledgeable lenders when it comes to the VA loan. Um, and so it, it's important to have somebody who, and, and, and I'm going to throw this out there publicly and I'm going to, somebody's going to hate this and I'm going to, whatever, uh, just because you're a veteran, doesn't mean, you know, shit about the VA loan. So sorry. Uh, but like, there's some really garbage lenders. Out. I mean, my first purchase was an FHA because I literally, I heard an ad on a radio for this bank. And I'm going to call them out bank of little rock mortgage. And I was in Missouri, but, but I heard, Oh, we're the VA loan experts. That was the radio ad. So I go to the guy's freaking office and he tells me, don't use the VA loan on that duplex. You can only use it once and you don't want to waste it on. Oh. Such <laughs> like, so the other, the other oh. side of lending. Yeah. The other side of lending is it's, 
it's kind of like split into two parties, right? You have underwriters, well, three parties. You have credit credit approval boards who decide on the loans, but not for small loans like this. But you have the underwriters who are approving loans, even though Fannie Mae is basically um, you know done on a matrix. But you have the people who actually approve loans, and then you have the salespeople. And so a lot of times what happens um, with borrowers is they'll get stuck in this quagmire. They're like, I need this loan. And you'll get a salesperson to be like, yeah, I can do it. And then they get you to, they tie your time up. They get you to pull the credit. They get your financials in. And then they hand it to the underwriter. And the underwriter's like, yeah, we can't do this. And the salesperson's like, all right, can't do it. See ya. And it can be very discouraging for borrowers because they're like, you get, banks are jerking me around. And I'm like, no, it's not all banks. That guy jerked you around. And that yeah. happens because he's trying to get a commission. So it's very important to understand just a lot of what we're talking about, like how banks actually work. Because if you understand a lot of things that Jabbar is saying, like if you understand how they work and what they're looking for and what they need, and then you can walk in with a package and say, look, I got what you need. It's already done. You don't have to do anything. And then you can, it lets the salespeople hand that package over to underwriting and be like, look, it's already done. Life is easy. Um, it's when, you know, either complicated deals or ugly deals or deals that are on the margin. And then you got a lousy salesperson or a cranky underwriter or both. And things fall apart. Yeah, a lot of it's just tenacity. I love that. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, and so one thing that I'll just just say is just like for people who are young, who are like you know starting out in their careers, and they're like, oh well, I want to figure out how I can buy a property as like a E one, E two, E three, or I, I mean at least wait to get to the. Mm, I won't. I won't. I'll I'll revoke that comment. But you know, for young people, it's just like. One, make sure that you have an actually strong financial position because like so many people told me how like stupid or crazy I was with the financial decision that I was making, um, but they didn't own any real estate or they weren't, they were, you know, buying a home to live in. Um, but like I had capital, right? Like I spent $22,000 on that house. I had like more than six months worth of expenses saved up to mitigate my risk. So just like the biggest thing I'd say is because obviously I'm taking risk, right? Is just have capital, have reserves, have things in place, have different exit strategies so that if your um, idea or if your plan of execution doesn't work, um, you have some other way to get out of it. Because the worst thing you can do, uh, especially as a young service member, especially if you have a security clearance is, you know, not be able to pay your bills and you lose your security clearance. And then you're blaming me and you're emailing or you're emailing Dave, <laughs> Dave and Alex that like we screwed you over. But so just make sure you have a strong financial position. Cause I see a lot of people who want to get into real estate and get into taking all, all this debt. And it's like, well, how can you make sure, how do you, how do you want to make a business cash flow when you yourself don't cash flow? Um, so just, just keep that in mind. Just make sure you're, you, you yourself have a strong financial position. Cause I, I save money. Like now I, I probably spend more money on education and relationships and things like that. But like when I was saving for this property, I had like an 80% savings rate. One of the months where the stock market crashed, I spent $50 like the entire month. So, uh, and I made more, and I was side hustle. I was doing DoorDash. I was doing, I was taking people's duties for money. Like I was writing people's essays for them. So like, um, I don't want people to think that, um, what I did was, is definitely repeatable, but you shouldn't just like do it off a whim. It needs to be something where you're, you know, you're thinking about the risk, you have like your risk mitigation plan, and then you have your multiple exit strategies and so forth. Yeah. People forget, um, 
you know, debt is the risk. It's not just <laughs> some risk. It's the risk. People don't know this. Check this out. I don't know if you know this. Um, every major religion since the dawn of like the last, since the dawn of modern civilization, every major religion bans debt because it sinks civilizations, right? Um, it's, it is the risk. It's hard to go broke with no debt, right? <laughs> but the fix is what you said, which is, um, it's, which is cash reserves. I'm not saying don't use debt. I'm saying people, uh, it's really important to respect the risk of debt. And then we also are in this really weird um, narrative now where people say, oh, well, we have inflation. So you better get, a, get a ca- you better get out of cash. And I'm like, if you got debt and you get out of cash, you are setting <laughs> yourself up for failure because yeah. you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, the market, you know, you keep talking about the last, the, the, the 2020, 20, the 2020 crash, but um, that was a blip compared to his history, you know, what happened in history. So um, having cash reserves, big cash reserves, um, I'm trying to, you know, my girlfriend's trying to buy her first place and we keep going back and forth on the mortgage. She's like, I just want to pay for it in cash. I don't want a mortgage. And I'm like, that's fine. Um, but you can make a, you know, she sees the risk side and I see the opportunity of debt. But I said, the, the secret is, you know, keep 30 grand in cash. Even if it's too much, keep 30 grand yeah. on a hundred thousand dollar house. It's like, what are you going to do? It's going to take you, it's going to take you a long time to go broke on with $30,000 in reserves on a small house. So cash reserves, even during inflation, you know, really, really, really good position to have. And yeah. I also like that you said, um, this is why I tell people like my life, my financial life is a disaster. I want to get into real estate. I'm like, that's a mistake. You fix your, <laughs> you fix your personal balance sheet first, then you go get additional assets. You don't, if you are bad with money, adding debt and real estate is going to make you bad at money in two different <laughs> entities. Your, your personal and your business are both going to go bad because you don't have the tools to, you know, to operate them efficiently and responsibly. Once you have the tools, then you can add to it. And then you just have to implement the system. Like you said, save money, spend less than you earn, reinvest, um, keep reserves, right? Just be safe, but be safe, but optimistic or how I should say it. Be pessimist, get skeptical. Be, yeah. The word I like is paranoid. Oh, you know, paranoid. Be, be be paranoid, but don't let it, but, but still move forward. So, but what you do is the people who are like, okay, my life's a disaster. My financial life's a disaster. I'm going to go get a $300,000 house. And I'm like, I know how this is going to go. It's going to take a little <laughs> while, but I know how this is going to go. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, and I'm the, I'm getting more, well, okay, let me, I'm not getting more risk averse. I don't think that's the case. I think I'm just getting to the point where I'm understanding like, all right, whether I'm risk averse or not, I need to take these precautions because my portfolio is getting big enough that I have to have more in there. So like LLCs with partners, we all have, you know, 25 grand or whatever in the LLC for, mm-hmm. which just saved my butt. Uh, although insurance is actually going to work out, but it just saved me uh, massive loss for those of you who didn't listen to the podcast where I mentioned the guy, the tenant I had rip all the electrical wiring. Oh yeah. I saw that. Um, so luckily between insurance and cash reserves, no big deal. Um, but what I do for like my own portfolio for the longest time, and I'm, I'm finally fixing this, uh, is I, I've been kind of the inflation appreciation cash flow, don't like to keep cash guy. And so I basically have six figures in, a, in my TSP and I'm like, Hey, if the world ends, I pay a 10% fee and I pull that out. And then I have a $72,000 line of credit, like a HELOC and I leave mm. it empty and I'm like, Hey, if the world ends, I can use my HELOC. And that's obviously not the way to do it, but it has allowed me to keep minimum, I still have cash reserves, but smaller cash reserves with the knowledge that if I have to cut a check, I can, 
Right. Let me tell you, but I'm, let me I'm tell now my... building the cash reserves because I finally got to a point where I'm like, all right, I, I'm, you know, so I, I know me, that's the wrong me... answer. Time to get out of my own way. <laughs> let, me tell our listeners, let me tell our listeners why that's a terrible thing to do. Oh, God. Um, if you look at lending during a downturn every single time, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to clip available credit. In fact, they did it in 2020. Um, people started reporting, um, myself included, where they would reduce credit card limits. They would reduce HELOC limits um, because the banks are going to go like, okay, if things just went south and you have a $20,000 HELOC, you might go grab all that. Now we have to put out $20,000 in cash in an environment where the risk just went up. So the first thing that the banks are going to do is they're going to take, they're going to take credit limits that are available and they're going to yank them back. And every single HELOC from every single bank has a clause that says we can access anytime we want. So HELOCs are great, but they only work in an up in a stable environment. As soon as risk hits the fan, I'm t- I mean, you're laughing. Uh, oh, I'm laughing to- because in March of 2020, I cut myself a check for $30,000 from the HELOC. I did the same thing in my bank account and said, I'll pay that back with that money. But at least if they cut my line, I've got half of it yeah. in the bank account. Yeah. <laughs> I did the yeah. exact same thing. I did the exact same thing. But it is important. Um, but you know, now you're on a timing thing, right? Oh, yeah. Now you're now you're against the clock, you know, making sure you you're rushing to it faster than the bank is rushing to it. And um so, you know, I, I preface that it wasn't the right move. I no 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 look, man. Look, hey, if if I can't hear and give you a hard time, then I don't know what the heck we're doing on the show. That's the whole point, <laughs> that's the whole the whole point of our friendship. That's, that's but it is important it. to say, um, I'm glad you said it because there are people out there, right? The market's been good for the market's been nothing but good for 12 years and it's easy to think it's going to keep being good and you don't need that many reserves, but especially as you get bigger, you need more reserves because now you have more to lose. Yeah. Um, and it's good to step back. You know, the TSP is good, but it is good to have higher reserves. Even with the inflation right now, I think uh, having reserves is healthy. Definitely. Um, and I actually made a uh, a real, like a, almost like a TikTok about that. But, um, basically the way my strategy, since I don't have six figures in my TSP and I'm probably going to use my HELOC to buy real estate. Um, I, what I do is I follow, I think it's the profit first model. And so I save like a big chunk, either I put that like money in an account um, and so I say, basically I'm saving up a big amount of reserves that like, Hey, this is the amount that I'm comfortable with. So for example, for my first property, it's $10,000. And so, um, after, so after like the account gets to $10,000, my cash flow, that phantom cash flow is treated as net is treated as like net profit that I'm able to use for an additional real estate or whatever. Um, cause I mean, most of like my, most of my, my maintenance or CapEx is easier to cap is like easier to cash. Like just cut a check my profits. But anyways, but once that account gets tapped for some odd reason, um, like let's say my furnace goes out and I have to spend five grand, that's more than the cash flow. Well, that CapEx account is used for, um, whatever, you know, CapEx or maintenance comes up. That's more than like my monthly cash flow or my net cash flow for the month. Um, so, and then by doing that, Cause I, I, I couldn't get behind like saving five to 15% in perpetuity. Uh, cause to me, it, it, it doesn't allow, it, it didn't work for my risk tolerance. So, um, in this way, I still feel comfortable with the reserves I have seen in the bank for that one property. Um, and I do it for, I'm doing it for every single property that I buy, but, um, it's just another, I guess, 
way of, you know, protecting yourself from, from risk market downturn, tenant screws your property over, like, you know, they ban Airbnbs in the smoky mountains or something. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my strategy. That's yeah. Uh, as long as you got it on, on mind, you know, it's not the risk that you know you take that gets you. It's the risk that you take that you have no idea about that sinks you. And so it's the things that you're not paying, people are not paying attention to or not thinking about that come out of nowhere. So, um, yeah, I love it. As long as you kind of got a strategy, then, you know, if you're thinking about it, then you're probably okay. If you're not thinking about it, then that's when you get set up. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, we've got a few minutes left and I, so you've covered a couple key things. And I'm just going to like highlight them in, in like sequen sequential order real quick. And you let me know what I miss. First, first off you were your personal finances, right? You, you were working on getting a credit score. You were working on having money in reserve. You were investing, you were saving money. You had a really high savings rate. You were doing all the things right to save money, get a credit score, have good finances, have a good track record, learning about what you were doing. And then you house hacked, which, in your case, not only are you living for free, but it's profitable while you're living there, which is awesome, uh, which is why I love house hacking. But even if it just allows you to live for free, then you can save your BAH if you're getting it, or in your case, you'd still be a net zero with learning about landlord. Anyway, so you do that. Then you take it to the next step and you go to a strictly investment, you partner, but because you had all the finances set up, you were able to take that leap. Uh, I don't know if I got that all in summary, but I want to throw that out there to everybody. Like, look, there, there's a process to this. There's steps to this. It's not just buy a $600,000 house with somebody else as a partner. It's learning, setting yourself up with a credit score, setting yourself up with a good financial background and, you know, having some, some runway there, but what else do you, I, what, am, what am I, I also, what else? I want to, I want to stop in real quick and just like kind of, for all the people that are listening to Jabbar and being like, okay, I'm 38, he's 20, and they're going to feel bad about themselves for not having done their first deal or not being to where you're at. I want to say that like, you know, F this kid. Okay. Go your own path. Don't listen to him. <laughs> it's okay. It's a long game. Um, no, it's really impressive what you've done at 20. Uh, it's really impressive what you've done at 20. Um, but it is, um, it is interesting just coming from my perspective at 38. I'm like, dude, I only figured out about real estate when I was, you know, 10 years after uh, older than you are now. So it's, um, it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know. I don't really have any specific point, but it's an interesting way. Like everybody kind of gets in their journey um, when they figure it out. And it's, uh, it's really good that you got started early. I'm really excited to see what happens over the next 10 years because uh, life, life's got a funny way of, pulling you in weird directions. You might become a real estate mogul. You might find something else you like. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, I have one point to that um, because I see it a lot. And so, uh, cause from the young side, right. When I'm the young kid with no real estate and no BAH and no money, I'm looking at all these people who are making millions of dollars in real estate. And I'm like looking at all these different things and I'm comparing myself to people. And so I was listening to a bigger pockets podcast and I'll never forget it. The guy, I don't remember which one it is, but the dude just says, instead of like trying to compare yourself to people, like, just like, take what other people have done and like draw inspiration from it. Because when you look at it from that lens, you don't look at say like, Oh, I don't have this. So that doesn't work for me. You look at like how, Oh wow. He did this. I didn't even know that was possible. 
how like how can I apply that with what I got going on over here? So I'll just say like never com- like try not to compare yourself to people. Like just draw inspiration because like I draw inspiration from you guys. Like all the hundreds of people um, I've listened to on the podcast, like I, I draw inspiration from them because like um, you know it's possible. Like when I see when I see someone go out there and crush it. Like, I don't say, oh my gosh, like, I wish I had a million dollars to put down on this deal. I say like, wow, I can't believe that's possible. That means I can do um, So that's kind of like the, it's like more, a lot big, like what you're, how you think about things is like what will propel you forward. It's just like, think about what you can take out of this um, or take out of what you're listening to and figure out how you can apply this in your own life with the resources that you have. Yeah, that was kind of what I was getting at. It's like, dude, it's not about FOMO. FOMO is like a deadly... It, there's no nothing good's going to come out of look, listen to Jabbar and be like, oh, he did so good. I can't do that. It's like, no, no, you can. Look, if a 20-year-old can do it, you can do it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And to be honest, um, as as knowledgeable as you are, um, and you know, definitely certainly like second or third tier knowledge, um, it's not anything, none of it's rocket science. Like real estate's not it's not mentally, you, you don't. It's not that hard. It's a very simple business model, right? It's fixed expenses. It's income minus expenses. They almost never change. And, and then net. So um, a lot of what's happening is um, persistence. A lot of it is persistence and a little bit of abundance mindset. And the one thing that we really didn't touch on that I don't think we have time for, but um, you got around people that helped you grow. Oh, and that's yeah. so important. If you, yeah. like, when I was in the army, I hung out with idiots and I was like, you know, I'll be an idiot too. And then when I started hanging out with people that are, that are doing well, and I was like, oh, now I started doing well. When I, when I hung out with alcoholics, I was an alcoholic. When I hung out with meatheads who deadlift 600 pounds, I was deadlifted 600 pounds. And so really, you just got to find out what Jabbar did. And like I said, we didn't really talk about it. Is he brainwashed himself by hanging out with people that were doing bigger things than him. The family you stayed with, your mastermind now, military millionaire. That's, the, that's like the, one of the biggest things you can do to positive benefit your life is just like spend time around people who are doing things you want to do or people you want to become. Yep. And then you become them. If you spend, if you hang out with them enough, it's really that simple. hundred yep. percent. That's huge. All right. Jamar, what, uh, what resources do you recommend? Course, website, book, whatever to anyone who's looking to get started in real estate, especially young oh. service member. So geared towards young people, I'll, I'll give them the packet. The packet is the three books I definitely recommend is set for life by Scott Trench. That's a bigger pocket book. Um, what's it? The house hacking strategy by Craig Curlop. Cause I truly believe that, um, house hacking is great for everybody when you're trying to achieve early financial independence. Um, and then the book on managing rental properties by Brandon Turner. So that's like the, the three, like the basic borderline trifecta. It will give you like all the how to and a little bit of mindset. Um, then I'd read, um, uh, first to a million. Um, honestly, I've read the book I'm in it, so I don't want to, uh, <laughs> I'm self-promoting here. I'm also in that book, but uh, I'd really recommend checking out first to a million by Dan cheeks. I've read the book and it gives you a lot of like tactical, um, information on how you can, you know, achieve that early financial independence. And then Dave's book, the no BS guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right there. Uh, the all of those authors day. other than Dan have been on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, although uh, bigger pockets actually reached out about having Dan on the show. So we, we may be doing that as well. Woo. Yeah. I'll also that no BS sign standing behind David, that great sign. Whose idea was that? Whose was it? 
Jabbar, what else have uh, no. <laughs> Alex? It was Alex's. So I wanted the neon sign uh, at one point, but I had no idea what to put on it. And then I also didn't even think about it when I was designing my office. And Alex was the one who was like, you need something that pops like a neon sign. And I was like, great. But like, what the fuck do I put on it? And then ta-da. And now it flows. It flows so uh, well. It, it looks really good. I like it. Yeah. It turned out all right. If, if I finally got my money, my money's worth out of putting up with Alex. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, my oh, one last plug. Sheik's Freaks. Like, ultimately, no, uh, Sheik's no, Freaks. No, 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 no. I can't no, do that. No, no. Oh, okay. No, no, All right. No, 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 no. There is one it's mastermind free. that you can plug, and that's David's mastermind, the war room, but we are not plugging somebody else's mastermind. Sorry. Mastermind Sorry. For military <laughs> and veterans called the war room. It is uh, <laughs> highly recommend it. Changed my life. But I am not letting you plug somebody else's mastermind on my best friend's show. I'm sorry. Is that rude? I really didn't mean to be rude. I was just <laughs> it's rude, and it's rude, and you're you're fired. Oh was, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, All right, no wow. more. No six weeks. The war room. He's still Enjoy saying the war room. I got bleep I got, that out. I got nothing. Out. I got nothing to say here. Um, bleep that out. But on a real note, though, mastermind groups, and and I acknowledge the war room is not for everyone. Although it's for you, uh, the the like finding a mastermind group or or a, just a group of people that is on the same trajectory as you is huge. And and I think mastermind groups are especially powerful because there's a little skin in the game. It's not free, and there's a commitment, whether it's time commitment, a dollar commitment, or whatever. And so you're not like the people who are just tire kickers aren't in the group, or yep. at least less of them are in the group. And so that's incredibly valuable, especially I think for service members, because you're around people who I don't want to sound negative about people in the military, but like you're just around people who aren't usually looking for that financial trajectory. And so to get around people who are kind of counterbalances how much time you might spend at work talking about why the chow hall sucked uh, today, <laughs> so, you know, or how many dollars they spent on a stripper on Friday night. Cause it was payday. Jesus Christ, dude. Oh my God. <laughs> I didn't hit home there. Uh, bar, this has been an awesome episode. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for just uh, I'm not being you. I don't know what, there's no, like, I don't, I don't know how not to sound weird when saying like, thank you for doing this and proving to people that it's possible. Cause I can't go back in time and be like, look, I did this. It's possible. But I can absolutely be like, he did this. It's possible. Cause I didn't fucking buy a house till I was 25. I didn't know any better. 25. Yeah. 25. <laughs> so um, share this I, episode with your knucklehead friends at work. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a great honor. It's been a blast. And Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm kind of happy. I'm really happy right now. It's just not showing. Cause I want to seem like a fangirl. <laughs> Away. it's cool I'll, I'll pretend I'll stop this has been fun thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire if you liked it be sure to visit from military to slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts while you're there we'd love for you to rate the show give us a review on iTunes now get out there and take action